Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another episode of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our guests today are Janae Powell, Chief Executive Officer of the White Coats Black Doctors Foundation and a fourth-year medical student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Medicine, and Tanisha Patton, Associate Director of the White Coats Black Doctors Foundation and a third-year medical student at Oklahoma State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. We'll be speaking with the two of them about their journey through med school as well as the White Coats Black Doctors Foundation. I'm Jason James, executive producer, and I'm joined by our esteemed host, Dr. Michael Lenore, a physician, medical reporter, and a past president of the National Medical Association. Dr. Lenore, how are you today? I'm, I'm fine today, Jason. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Tell us about the latest in the coronavirus pandemic. Well, unfortunately, what's happened is a continued politicization of the very things that would stop this pandemic. As a doctor, I'm absolutely convinced that the only thing that's going to stop these numbers from growing asymptotically is a vaccine. And I think that if we don't do something to get the mentality of this country focused on that, I think we're going to have a much more severe pandemic than what they had in 1918 in the Spanish flu. We're seeing kids go back to college and they're being kids. They're getting together in large groups. Colleges are really um, awash with positive cases. We're seeing that college athletics begin. We're seeing football begin. And for the life of me, I don't know how they plan to keep people separated uh, during football season. So we're starting to see pockets, hot pockets develop all over the country. In addition, this whole issue of the mask has become such a political symbol to both the left and the right. Obviously, the mask helped tremendously, but the right, led by the president, is making the mask a symbol of cowardice. Unfortunately, we've heard some things about the president's attitude toward bravery in the military that neutralizes a lot of that. But if you notice, every day there's a new subject to take your mind away from the poor job we're doing controlling this pandemic. I would say to African-Americans, stay the course, stand in place, wear the mask, don't gather in large groups, watch what you're doing, make sure that people who come around you have not been exposed to the virus and get tested. 100%, there is definitely some sleight of hand happening, especially as we get closer and closer to the election. We are seeing it every day that they're trying to distract us with something. When I was growing up, we used to call it the okey-doke. It's the old okey-doke. Hey, bait and switch. Um, is, that, is that really an elephant in the room? These are the kinds of things the administration is doing. Black people stay the course. One of the things that's happening in this discussion around the coronavirus is we're losing the conversation on other aspects of health. One of the things that we're most concerned about is health resources. That means the number of doctors that we have in this country. It's been demonstrated even by a most recent article that we need more black doctors in our country. Uh, and if we don't get them, then people, black, black people do not get the quality care they need at all times. Even having a black doctor in the room, I can tell you from my experience, makes a big difference. But now we're about 12, 15% of the population 
two to three percent of the doctors. So today we're talking with white coats, black doctors, about what they're doing to try and encourage African Americans to go into the medical field. We're talking to Dr. Janae Powell. She's the chief executive officer of White Coats Black Doctors Foundation. She's at the University of North Carolina. We're also talking with Denisha Pat. She's the associate director of White Coats Black Doctors Foundation, and she's at Oklahoma State. Thank you, doctors, for joining. Tell us exactly, um, uh, Ms. Powell, what is White Coats Black Doctors Foundation? The White Coats Black Doctors Foundation is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2015. And um, basically the purpose is to um, support the development of future and current black physicians. Um, and so we have a slogan of black doctors is celebrate, unite, and uplift. And basically we do that in um, a number of different ways. We have different programming, um, which I'm happy to expand upon um, about sort of how we, how we work towards that. You know, I'm noticing in your definition, you say you know, to encourage diversity in African American. We're always struggling trying to get programs that are specifically focused on an African American, uh, either students or doctors. So, is yours in your definition of diversity? Are you focused primarily on African American physicians? Yes. So that is actually one of the things, one of the reasons why we founded White Coast Black Doctors. Um, we, re- we recognize the importance of having a physician workforce that reflects um, the population that it serves. But um, our goal is mainly focused on making sure that the black physician population um, is at a level that reflects the population that it serves. There are other organizations that do sort of paint minorities with more of a broad brush, um, but we sort of pride ourselves on being very specific about that. Can you tell us, uh, Ms. Patton, how, how bad is it for African-American physicians? I understood I was the 114th president of the National Medical Association. And at that time, we had about the same percentage of African-American physicians now than we had almost 100 years ago when we were founded. Um, is, it, is it as bad as it seems? I don't know if I would say it's the same as it seems. I feel like we're just making a really slow progression into increasing the African-American physician workforce. Um, I know from a personal experience, there are only five black students in my class of 115, and I am the only black female. So sometimes the task seems daunting, but I think through White Coast Black Doctors, especially the work we do through our programming, such as Med Talks or our Day in the Life series that we're starting, um, pretty much pushes and enables others to see the dream and go after that dream so that way we can push more black doctors into our workforce. Well, you know, I know that probably, as you described the situation that you're in, that you had a very interesting um, journey uh, to this medical school place. Tell us a little bit about some of the things uh, that you have encountered. Um, Ms. Powell, tell us a little bit about um, your journey uh, into medicine? I, I think for me, I was definitely the person that always wanted to be a physician. Um, you know, I was a little kid at age five, six. I was, like, begging my parents to watch ER on TV, and so I kind of came up through that. Um, I'm from North Carolina, actually, um, so I went away to Harvard for undergrad and then ultimately came back here um, to attend medical school. And so 
for me, I feel like one of the one of the factors that made medical school possible was just kind of being able to stay the course, but also having people in my life that I looked up to. You know, I I had I had a black pediatrician growing up. I've always had a black pediatrician growing up, even when I switched cities. Um, I think that was something that my parents were very um, purposeful about, and so having that exposure sort of let me know that that was possible, you know, along the way, and it wasn't really ever something that I doubted in my mind, just because, you know, I hadn't been exposed to it. You would say the same for myself. I um, was very fortunate to have my mother create a great network of black doctors for me that I could reach out to and get advice from. I always wanted to be a physician from a very young age, but I realized the importance of seeing it growing up and knowing that I could achieve it. So to me, that's something that's really um, special. And it makes me want to push and show others that there are black doctors out in the world and that they too can become a black physician. Yeah, why do you think there's so few black physicians? I often wonder exactly what the case is. Is it just not seeing it? Is it financial reasons? I mean, just to get to the point of going through medical school is very, very, very expensive. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to Howard University for all four years. So that definitely cut down on the amount of debt that I graduated undergraduate, um, my undergraduate institution with. But even like taking the NCAT, getting prep, if I wasn't getting books from friends or anyone that, you know, could help me get along there, like the journey can be really daunting. Not only is it long, but it's very expensive. So I think sometimes that plays a huge factor into why there's not a lot of black physicians. And I think Tanisha kind of touched on that same thing that I think about when I think about why there aren't so many black physicians too, is like, I don't think people realize how much of sort of a generational cycle um, being a physician is for most other, for a lot of other races. I, I don't know about you, Tanisha, but I know that I would say it feels like a majority of my classmates have at least one parent who is a physician. Um, and so the, I feel like for a lot of black students, they would be the first physician in their family. And so kind of coming up and sort of not knowing the ropes or the tricks of the trade or having somebody to inherit books from or having somebody sort of guide you um, along your process sort of makes it feel like you're sort of um, missing that head start. You know, there's a bit kind of a mixed bag as to how this process has gone. And I also went to Howard University and the transfer to the University of Texas for scholarship and went to medical school University of Texas. At that time, they had one black, one Asian, and one Latino in each class. And so consequently, you know, it was uh, it was just a very different environment. And then when I finished my fellowship and my studies, I came to the University of California, San Diego, and the University of California here in San Francisco, and that was the days during the affirmative action when they'd have 20 and 30 African-American students in every one of the classes, all of whom graduated and all of whom became uh, you know, certainly the large majority graduated and became effective doctors. And then came the Bakke decision. After that, it seems like every, almost every year since then, we've had fewer and fewer medical students uh, in view not only of the fact that it's cost so much more money, but also the fact that then admissions committees are not uh, as interested in a versatile background. And some of the characteristics which we, those of us who've been in this business, 
they can make excellent doctors. And then what's your experience been like since you've been in medical school um, and that you could share with other people who are really trying to, to take this same journey? So I would say in medical school, you know, um, Tanisha already talked about how her sort of the number of black people is often very small. Um, at UNC sort of prides itself on having a little bit more diversity. Um, the state itself is um, a little higher than the national average in terms of um, the percentage, and so the percentage of African Americans that there are in the state, and so as a result, um, there are slightly more African Americans that actually do go to um, UNC School of Medicine. I would say somewhere on the order of 20 thereabouts per class. Um, and so I think, you know, the fact that I was even able to start like host black doctors while in medical school definitely speaks a little bit to the fact that I was in an environment that has been able to be continue to support us when we founded it and as we have grown as an organization, um, they, you know, have been wonderful towards us. We work, we collaborate with them on uh, some of our scholarships and different things like that. Um, so at least from an administrative standpoint, I think it's been very good. I think in practice, though, um, being an African American in medical school is is difficult. Um, I think one of the things that makes it difficult, a lot of the buzzwords that you hear right now are things like imposter syndrome, um, and and this is something that most that all medical students talk about. And it's basically this idea that, you know, you're kind of faking it until you make it a lot of times. When you're on the ward, you know, you don't really know what you're doing initially. And so um, you're kind of just trying to just keep swimming, essentially, and going through the motions until it sticks and feels more natural for you. I think for black students, that has an extra hit. You get an extra sort of hit on this idea of being an imposter because I think you never know what other people are thinking about you. You know, do they think that you're in the position that you're in because of affirmative action? Are they doubting you before you even start? Um, and so when you compound that with the fact that you are, you may be doubting yourself, um, I think that makes excelling and succeeding in medical school um, a lot more difficult for our black students. And I know for this year, with all of the recent uh, shootings and the deaths that we've experienced in this country at the hands of police officers, it was really important for me to make sure that the other black students within my class and those in other classes in our medical school knew that they were supported. So we try to get together pretty often just to check in, make sure there's anything the first year it might need, second year, so on, and just see how we can support them and help them grow. I think having that support system, especially for a lot of students who are away from home, I grew up in Tulsa, so I have a great support system already in place, but for those who are coming in, it's definitely harder for them. So we're just there to help push each other. You know, you get a background on a test, it's okay, let's see how we can keep it going. But just so they know that we've all been in this spot and that we're all rooting for each other. And you know, it's interesting, you know, when I, when I came through medical school, of course, there was conscious bias. I mean, the professors didn't hesitate to use the N-word, some of the old myths, I remember my first uh, anatomy professor, um, pharmacology professor, said that morphine was a depressant for white people but excited Negroes and animals. I mean, so that was conscious bias. Now, that's easier to deal with. Now, I think we see, I see more as I'm making rounds of being involved academically, a lot of unconscious bias where the professors are, they don't really know when they're insensitive. They don't really know 
when they're um, when they're pushing the envelope. Have you encountered much unconscious bias? I entirely agree with that. I would say, you know, it would almost be easier sometimes if it were more overt. Um, I was talking to a friend, and I talked to her about how, you know, medicine, of course, is a team sport, right? And so um, when you're on the wards, it's a team sport. Even when you're preclinical, it's a team sport just in terms of study groups and in terms of, um, you know, maybe you're on a medical team and, you know, you need to work with the rest of the team to devise a plan. And so... I think those sort of unconscious factors that may lead you to connect with your classmates or your team um, better or worse than other students is definitely another sort of hit or impact to um, being a black student in medical school and how you do well. It's better to know what they think than, uh, I hate to say it's they, but that's the way it is. It's better to know what they think. And, you, and you'll see that as you go further in your career. And one of the challenges, I think, for black medical students now is getting in residency, internship and residency programs. How's, how's that going uh, in terms of your experience and the experience of your colleagues in medical school? Are they able to get into all the internships and residencies that they want? Well, I think um, for me at OSU, because I haven't gone through residency in the MET process yet, but there is a great black woman who works in the Office of Graduate Education, and she definitely looks out for um, black students. She doesn't have much say on where we can go in residency, of course, but she's, because she's seen so many applications, she knows exactly what to look for, things to tell us to correct or change. And for me, that's definitely a huge plus and a huge blessing. And I don't know if other students have that same opportunity. So I know for myself, especially through white coast black doctors, if I see a problem, I want to help create a solution. For example, I know that with this year, a lot of students are able to go and shadow doctors so they can get recommendation letters and things of that nature or decide if medicine is for them. So we're creating a day in the life series where we're going to have different attendings of different specialties show a typical day for them so that way they can see what it's like and if they want to pursue that. Some people say you have to go back as far as the third grade in order to kind of get the kids motivated to do the kinds of work required to go to medical school. Is white coat black doctors mostly a support group for students who are already in medical school? Or are there significant programs for students who are thinking about medical school? And how, how early do you think those programs should start? Well, for our programming, we are really honestly geared for everyone. It's, sometimes we have probably a third grader who his parents will message us looking for a mentor just so he can talk to someone or her, because black women can be doctors too, we <laughs> um, <laughs> Or if they're following for Instagrams um, and they're high school students, that they want to join in our med talks and ask questions to residents or physicians just to get more of an idea. We definitely aren't turning anyone down just because of age, and we're not necessarily, I guess, having a target audience as far as, say, medical school, but we want to get those who are interested in medicine more interested and those who are in medicine to keep them encouraged. One of the things that we do um, through our sort of the Celebrate tenant that I was talking about, our part of Celebrate Unite and Uplift, is we sort of aim to put a younger, fresher face on what it's like to be a physician. I think most of us kind of felt like when we founded the organization, there was a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, younger kids who are growing up and then what they feel is achievable or possible when they look at, you know, 
older doctors or attendings that maybe are, you know, further on in their careers. And so one of the things that we like to highlight is the presence of physicians in the community, which is why we have casual wear, sweatshirts, as well as things that you can use, you know, in this clinic um, that have our logo, which is a fist actually clutching a stethoscope um, to sort of put like I said, a younger, fresher face, and it's one of the reasons why we're so active on social media um, and then, you know, trying to reach those younger, more impressionable minds to maybe have them think about, um, you know, a career in medicine that they may not have thought of before. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, those of us who have been around for a while have seen you know, medical students come through the process here in the Bay Area or wherever we've been. Uh, we try to serve as mentors. And I think that one of the problems is that uh, younger physicians often, younger medical students, and I don't even say you doctors, so I'm going to just call you that. Younger doctors, they, they, uh, they're often looking for mentors, and there's a disconnect. You have a bunch of doctors out there and, you know, and have, like I said, served as president, traveled all over the country, who would like to be mentors, and you have a number of students um, who uh, want mentors. How do you bridge that gap uh, in White Coats Black Doctors? So White Coats Black Doctors, we do have a mentorship program. Um, and I think you're right. There is, it, It's hard to know right, how to reach out if it's not. Tanisha and I both talked about how our parents were very purposeful about putting black physicians in our lives. Um, but if you don't have that kind of exposure coming up, where does that come from? And so through our mentorship program, when we go to conferences, which obviously we're not doing very much of, these days, as well as online, we have a link for mentors to sign up and a link for mentees to sign up. Um, and then we sort of do, we are going to be doing a matching process to match up people that are hopefully in similar areas, but perhaps not because in this digital age, you know, it may just be that you, you know, you're having a monthly video chat with your mentor or you're texting your mentor, um, but kind of trying to bridge those gaps. Um, I think one barrier that we see in bridging those gaps is some of our uh, more seasoned mentors don't necessarily, aren't, aren't as comfortable with technology and the ways that young people like to communicate and build connections. And so um, one of the things that we're trying to do is figure out, you know, what people's favorite communication style is and then see if we can find mentees for who we can meet in the middle. Obviously, you cheated. Uh, out of your medical school education by this pandemic. No one ever thought we'd be in this surreal world. How does that change your medical school experience? Um, For me, I was actually in the middle of studying for boards when that all happened. So I had level one boards originally scheduled for June 18th, and it unfortunately got pushed back to August, and then it got pushed back to July. So the stress of boards of already studying because you want to pass and you want to do well on top of pandemic. And then I would occasionally hear some of my classmates would get emails two days prior that the test was canceled. So it was a very stressful situation on its own. I know for the third and fourth years at that time, they were pulled off the rotation. And right now, they're kind of struggling with fourth years. We're going to be the audition or how are interview is going to be and how am I going to find out if the program is a good fit for me just from a quick Zoom interview. So it's definitely definitely teaching us to be very flexible 
But at the same time, it's definitely hard. And I just feel sometimes the added stress of being alone or kind of navigating through this by myself is being really difficult. But thankfully, a lot of my preceptors have been great. And I just want to have a Black OB guy who I am working with. And she has thoroughly convinced me to go into OB guy. So I guess that's a good positive that I've had so far. How has your experience changed since the COVID virus uh, pandemic um, descended upon your medical school education? So COVID has affected fourth years like myself by really just sort of changing the landscape of the residency process um, with no in-person interviews. You don't get an opportunity to evaluate not just the programs that you may be attending or, or sort of the vibe of the people that work at said hospital, you also don't get a chance to evaluate um, a city that you may be moving to happen to have never been there before. Um, So that has really changed the landscape of sort of the way that we'll be moving forward and attempting to do it virtually via Zoom, even um, things like virtual residency fairs are coming up. Um, And so having to sort of change the way you network quickly and change the flavor of how you network and, and, you know, even make sure that you're coming across the way that you want to cross virtually um, in a Zoom call. Um, these are all sort of factors that are plaguing most fourth years right now. What is your relationship with the Student National Medical Association, and how do you differ? Um, so we get that question a lot, and we got it a lot um, when we first started. You know, back in 2015, all all five of the founders, including myself, are are current or were SNMA members, and so. We kind of touched on this earlier when we said that White Coast Black Doctors is explicitly for black physicians and for black students, black youth who want to become black physicians. Um, SNMA is a little bit more broad in its approach, um, and so they tend to focus more on minorities in general, which I think is great and noble, but we wanted the freedom and flexibility to be only about um, black physicianship. And then the other thing that makes White Coast Black Doctors a little bit different from the SNMA is how I mentioned that we seek to put a younger, fresher face on what it's like to be a physician. Um, So most people that I know did not know about SNMA until they got to medical school. Um, And so once I started interviewing for medical school, I started getting invited to different SNMA dinners and things like that um, while I was trying to figure out which medical school I wanted to go to. Um, but we sort of seek to be present throughout the entire process. So we have different offerings for students that are in college, people that are pre-college, the pre-med, all the way up through your physicianhood. You can come back and be a mentor. Um, so we, we seek to be active at sort of every stage, um, whereas SNMA really just focuses on medical students that are in medical school. Just a quick point to touch on that as well is that not every medical school has an SNMA chapter. I know that OU in Tulsa doesn't have an SNMA chapter. So those students, if they're wanting to be involved and they want to get back, White Coast Black Doctor is a great organization for them to do that. For we have many programming that they can get in and put in work and time in. Chapters, do you have how many students or how many members are involved in the foundation? Well, our organization isn't set up necessarily in chapters. It can literally be anyone who wants to join. Now, we do have associate directors, executive directors, and we have our fellows 
But if someone says that they are wanting to tell the world about their story, White Coast Black Doctors will be their platform for them to host the Med Talks so that way they can tell others of their journey to medicine and help those. And if they want to turn around and be a mentor to mentor several different students or high school students to help them on their way to becoming physicians, they're more than welcome to do so. So it's literally anyone. If you are a black medical student, a resident, is 10 turn attending, you can get involved. Doctors, would you like to say anything for the good of the order? Being involved. If you are interested in what White Coast Black Doctor is doing and you love our mission, you are more than welcome to donate to us. We will not find out more information about our programming, purchase any merchandise that you may want. Lapel pins are great. I just want to let people know that um, if they're interested in joining us, purchasing apparel, donating to our scholarship, they can find out more information on our website at www.whitecoastblackdoctors.org or on our Instagram, which is just White Coast Black Doctors. So thank you so much for joining us today, Janae Powell, Chief Executive Officer of White Coast Black Doctors Foundation, Tanisha Patton, who is the Associate Director at White Coast Black Doctors Foundation, we congratulate you on your platform. Um, we do think it's very it's very important that um, that we have platforms like this. And if you want to grow your mentorship of physicians in various places, uh, we know these positions are. If you need resources, we know, we know the uh, we know the people who are there, and we hope that uh, you will uh, use this as a resource when there is an opportunity. Jason, I'd like to thank the doctors for uh, joining us today. I know that. At that stage of their training, they're very busy in clinical years, and I think they have a message for all of us that we need to encourage young people to consider degrees not only in medicine but in the other health fields. So thank you to both of them. It's definitely very important that we do that, and I also thank them for their time. It was very insightful uh, to get a look into what they go through daily, not only as physicians but as black women in the medical field. Uh, on this note, actually, on social media this week, and as always, our listeners know they can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Black Doctor Speak, and on Twitter at Black Doc Speak. We asked our followers this week what they wish their doctors did better. And we actually got some very interesting responses, and so I'm going to read you some of these responses, and I'm just asking for your kind of your immediate reaction to them. And so from Instagram, this one was from Tippy underscore 28. Listen to us. As black women, my experience with doctors has been overwhelming. And I would say we got this more than anything else. What do you say to that? I say that one of the things that we talk about, one of the reasons that the African American Wellness Project was formed, was to help people better deal with the healthcare system. If you've got a doctor like that, get rid of it. Don't stay any longer. Interview other doctors because you have certain requirements for you to be comfortable. Don't stay in healthcare systems that are not good for you. The most important choice that you make in the healthcare system is your choice of a primary care doctor or a provider. It can be a nurse practitioner, it can be a physician's assistant under some circumstances. You have to decide. Do you want an older or a younger doctor? Do you want a black doctor? Do you want do you want a woman doctor? These are your choices. And so my feeling is in this day and age when there's so much competition in medicine, if you have someone who's like that, do not stay there. Don't try to change that individual because that ingrained, that's ingrained uh, in that style of practicing. 
and I'm sure other patients have similar complaints. But do not stay in systems where you don't feel welcome or you're not comfortable or you're not getting your needs met. We couldn't agree more. It's very important to treat it like a relationship, and it's literally a relationship that could be the difference between life and death, and so it's important to do that. The other thing, the other one we got was from Health Equity MPH. They said, I wish physicians would refer their patients to health advocates, specifically chronically ill patients. Health advocates can assist patients in advocating for themselves at the health plan to hospital level. It's so hard for patients to truly know what's going on, and many opt to give up on what's best for them. Thoughts on that? I absolutely agree with that. Uh, you could say health advocates, but any kind of advocate, you have to have somebody in the system who's on your side who could help you negotiate the very difficult methodology that doctors and hospitals use to take care of you. Most of the time, health advocates are not available because nobody pays for them. Everybody talks about how good they are, how important they are, but there's really nobody who's willing, no insurance company who are willing to pay for health advocates. So my recommendation is you find someone in your family with a significant health background. You share things with them, and you make them the advocates for your family. Because if someone talks to your primary care system uh, with some medical knowledge, your quality of health care will change. Well, that would seem to make perfect sense to me, and it's important to have those people in your life to advocate for you. The last thing I want to touch on goes back to our interview with White Coats Black Doctors. What is it that inspires you the most about this generation of physicians? I think this generation of physicians is basically more aware of some of the things that uh, that impede the uh, young black people from going into medicine. Uh, they recognize how hard it is. They recognize the cost of it. And they're willing to share their experiences outside their medical school curriculum. When we went to medical school, we just went to medical school. So we really didn't have the time or the opportunity to go out and speak to young people. Uh, it was not considered necessary, and it was not considered possible within the, some of the confines that we were in. To see them go out into the community, organize, identify problems, create solutions over and above the medical school requirements is very exciting to me. But, Jason, you know, we could talk about the young people all day, but we run out of time. I'm very excited to see Dr. Powell, Dr. Patton, and others in white coats, black doctors, and our medical students around the country take an active interest in the problems that we face in health. But, you know, we could talk about young people all day. So, Jason, I'd like to thank you for getting us away from the busy schedule. I'd like to thank those of you who have listened to our podcast in the past and those of you who are listening today. Remember always, health is your biggest asset, so protect it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lenore, and thank you to our listeners. Remember, Black Doctors Speak is a weekly podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctors Speak on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. And if you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.